firm foundation. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. got to tell you, I think you all look a little more rested today. <laughs> Who knew half an hour would make so much difference, right? Feel so much better. I also noticed nobody forgot and ended up here early this morning. When we back it up half an hour, everybody forgets, you know, and they're late. But nobody forgot and ended up here half hour early this morning. So glad that you're here. If you're a guest of ours, we are especially honored to have you with us today. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online as well. We have been spending some time going through this sermon series on the uh, spiritual armor that the Apostle Paul talks about at the end of the sixth chapter of Ephesians. And so far we've talked about things like the, the uh, belt of truth buckled around our waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and this morning... We're going to take a look at a piece of armament that's a little bit more obscure. At least it is to us. 
uh, doesn't deal with protecting your head, doesn't deal with protecting your heart, talks about protecting your feet. Every week so far we have read these verses uh, dealing with this uh, subject. We're going to do it again this week. We're going to do it again next week too. By the end of this series, I want you to be really familiar with this passage in Ephesians 6. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul's instructions to these brothers and sisters in Christ is that in addition to taking the the belt of truth, in addition to the breastplate of righteousness, to have that in place, he says we need to have their feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. You know, peace is a very popular word, isn't it? We all love the idea of peace. We talk about peace. You read bumper stickers about peace. They write songs about peace. We have a a universal signal for peace, right? The concept of peace is something that we all can agree on. Worldwide, we can agree on the concept of peace. The reality of peace is extremely difficult to achieve. Uh, You know, we all have um, stories probably from personal experience, where the lack of peace has taken a huge toll in our lives and the people that we love. So let's start this conversation about peace on the same page, knowing where our peace comes from. I'm talking about real peace, talking about true peace. What's the source of real peace? And of course, I think we would all agree the source is Jesus, right? The source of real peace, that's Jesus, Same letter to the book of Ephesians. Um, Paul is already talking about Jesus removing the wall of hostility, that that curtain of hate between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 2, talking about Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one by destroying the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he's put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. I think part of what Paul is saying in that passage, he's saying a lot of things in that passage, by the way, but part of what he is saying in that message there is that at the cross, Jesus brought peace. Not peace out there, Peace in here. Not peace the way the world would define peace, but peace for the Christ follower. Jesus, in in his time on earth here, actually talked a lot about peace. 
And he talked about the difference between godly peace and, and worldly peace. Look at Matthew chapter 10. This is Jesus speaking. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I'm not come to bring peace, but a sword. Wait, what? I thought we were talking about Jesus as the source of peace. I thought it all came from Jesus, right? This wonderful, beautiful peace. And he says, I didn't come to bring peace to the earth. I, I, I came to, to bring a sword. Yeah, that's right. He did. Uh, he's not talking about godly peace when he's talking about sword. He's talking about worldly peace. In fact, Jesus says, um, I'm going to turn a man against his father. I'm going to turn a woman against her daughter. Jesus said, if you think following me is going to lead to a life of no conflict, you're not paying attention. You're going to have conflict from the world outside. You're going to have conflict in this life. Jesus, I didn't come to bring peace to the world. I came to bring a sword, which seems very unpeaceful, doesn't it? But then a little bit later, Jesus is in that upper room right before the cross. And he's talking to his best friends. He's talking to these men that he's kind of, you know, entrusting the kingdom with. And he knows that they're worried. He knows that they're anxious. He knows that they're confused. So he tells them in John chapter 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Jesus tells them, I am leaving you my peace. It is not the kind of peace that the world knows. In fact, it's not the peace that the world even longs for. It's my peace. It's a different peace. And then he goes on to say, so, so since I am leaving you my peace, do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. The peace that Jesus was leaving these men, that leaving us, is not the absence of conflict. Think about what was going to happen to Jesus in the next couple of hours. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be you know, beaten. He's going to be crucified. Think about what's going to happen to these men in the next couple of years that Jesus says, I'm leaving you my peace. They're going to be persecuted. They're all going to be martyrs. They're going to be killed by the sword, beheaded, crucified upside down. Their life is going to be defined by conflict. But Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm going to leave you my peace, not the world's peace, my peace. And that is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I wish that I could explain this better to you. I wish that I could really do a better job of explaining the depth and the breadth and just the, man, the significance of the peace of Christ. But I can't. And the reason I can't is because the Bible says it's unexplainable. The peace that we have as followers of Jesus, it can't be explained. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God in the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, 
which you can't really understand, is going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. If you're reading from an old uh, uh, translation, it'll say, the peace that passeth all understanding. If you grew up in church, you remember singing the song, I got the peace that passeth understanding down in my heart. We know that promise, right? Peace is not the absence of conflict. In fact, that's the whole point of Ephesians chapter 6. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul is preparing us for conflict. He's preparing us for battle. Expect conflict. Prepare for conflict. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Christ's Spirit living in us. Now, peace really has nothing to do with all the externals. Peace doesn't really have much to do with what's going on around me. It has everything to do with what's going on within me. Paul is talking about a peace from within. He's talking about a condition. He's talking about a realization that that goes far beyond anything even he could explain. Far beyond anything we could supply on our own. Later on when he writes the book of Galatians, Paul's going to tell us that the peace that Christians enjoy, it is Holy Spirit inspired peace. You can't get there on your own. In Galatians 5, he talks about the fruits of the Spirit, what is evident because of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He says it's peace, it's, it's love, it's joy, it's, it's peace. This peace that we talk about, this godly peace, that's Holy Spirit-powered peace. So, let me ask a question. Why does Paul include it in this spiritual warfare conversation? I get his teaching on peace, that's great, it's wonderful, it's important. But why does he talk about it here in this context, in Ephesians chapter 6, when he's talking about putting on the, you know, the armor of God? Why is peace such an important part of battle preparation? Stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Well, Paul is preparing us for battle, right? He's preparing us to face the enemy. So what does his comment about fitting our feet with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace, what does that say about the enemy that we're facing? What is it about that 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 tells us kind of an insight, gives us an insight into Satan and Satan's tactics? You know, think about it. One of Satan's greatest tactics, maybe his best, is to attack our mind. He wants us to doubt. He wants us to fear. He wants us to feel anxiety and worry. I quoted Philippians 4 just a minute ago, that peace that that transcends all understanding. That passage begins with, don't be anxious. Paul knew that the enemy was going to attack us through worry and through doubt and through fear. So Paul says, don't be anxious because peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Over 400 times in Scripture, God says, don't worry. Or some variation of that. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Focus on me. Be still. Just know that I'm God. Notice what the prophet Isaiah says about this concept of peace and what it is that we allow ourselves to focus on. The prophet says this, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. I don't know if you've ever seen that verse or not, but it is a really good verse. 
The promise is, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Isaiah's promise is that if our thoughts are fixed on God, God will grant us peace. And not just peace, he'll grant us perfect peace. If I'm focused on God, on the gospel of peace, Satan is severely handicapped. Then just a few chapters later, Isaiah is going to kind of expand on that thought in chapter 30. He's actually chastising the Israelites for their lack of faith, but he says this in verse 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. Isaiah says, here's what God wants you to know. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and strength and trust is your strength. Now, over and over again in Scripture, we are told, take a step back. Just, just take a deep breath. Slow down. Now, take it easy. Trust in God. Just be still for a minute. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. So, I'll ask again. Why is part of getting ready for battle to have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace? Why is he talking about having our feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel that comes from the, the truth? The gospel that comes from the gospel of peace. Got it. Let me make just a couple real quick observations. Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Have your feet fitted. If you're reading from the old version, King James, it says, uh, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Shod is a word that maybe they used in the 1600s a whole lot. We don't use it much today. In fact, the only context that I can think of where we use the word shod is when a farrier shoes a horse. When a fairy shoes a horse, those feet are shod. I had horses all my life growing up. Martha and I had horses uh, earlier when we were married. Um, you know, when a farrier puts a shoe on a horse, when that horse is shod, it is very intentional. It is nailed on. It is not meant to come off. It's not loose. It's not sliding around. It's not an afterthought. It is very deliberately put on to stay on. I'll give you another example. I am, for a long time, have been a recreational runner. And when someone tells you that they are a recreational runner, <laughs> what that means is they love to run, but they're not very fast. And that is a perfect uh, description of me. Uh, I love to run. I have for a long time. One of the reasons is you don't have to be really good at it. I mean, it's not a skill that you have to learn. We all learned when we were two years old, right? You learned how to, you know how to run. Do it the same way you did when you were a kid. You can run anywhere. You can run anytime. You can run alone. You can run with people. It doesn't really take much equipment at all. But I will tell you something that I learned from experience. And Barrett and Eliza will back me up on this. All the Lefebvre's will back me up on this. Joshua will tell you the same thing. You better have the right shoes when you run. When I first started running, I went to the mall and I just bought whatever was on sale. And my feet hurt, and my knees hurt, and my hips hurt, and my toenails fell off. 
which was okay when you're not putting in too many miles. But when I started upping my mileage a little bit, I said, I got to get my shoes fixed. I got to do something about my shoes. So I went to a store where they actually fitted my feet. They measured my feet. They, they, they did all these measurements. They put me on a treadmill. They uh, videotaped my gait, had me run back and forth. Um, and the guy said, uh, you're a slight pronator. Where do you run? I told him where I ran. How often? He said, here, try these. I took those shoes home, and I was like, wow, what a difference. These are awesome. My feet didn't hurt. My knees didn't hurt. My hips didn't hurt. My toenails didn't fall off. And from that day, 20-some years ago, I have only run in Brooks Adrenaline 11 and a half 2E. That is my shoe. Every four or 500 miles, I get a new pair of Brooks Adrenaline 11 and a half 2E. Martha says, hey, there's some other shoes on sale. I don't care. I'm getting Brooks Adrenaline 11 and a half 2E. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what color they are. I will not run in anything but Brooks Adrenaline 11 and a half 2E. You want to know why? That's the shoe I was fitted with. And that's the shoe where I perform to my best. That is the most comfortable shoe that I've ever run in, for me. So, I asked you just a minute ago, why did Paul include these instructions about uh, fitting our feet with the armor of God conversation? Why is it so important to have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace? I think probably the, the simplest answer is the right answer. The purpose for a fitting is to move forward. We get our feet fitted to go somewhere. You don't get your feet fitted to stand still. I didn't get my feet fitted. I didn't go through that whole process. I, I don't buy fairly expensive running shoes just to stand still. I buy loafers for that, right? When I buy running shoes, I only wear them to run in. Nothing else, by the way. But I get them to go to move. You don't shoe a horse if all the horse does is stand in the pasture. You don't go to that trouble. You don't go to that expense if no one ever rides the horse, if no one ever uses the horse. We're fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace in order to move forward, to confront the enemy, to advance the kingdom. You know, I've told you that so many times I hear this passage explained and it's um, told there's only one piece of offensive armament mentioned here. I think everything that Paul mentions is an offensive, offensive piece of armament. Everything that he mentions enables us to move forward, to advance. That's why we have our feet fitted. We're fitted for action. And then one last question. Well, how does that happen? How do we have our feet fitted? We kind of looked at both ends of this thing, you know. Talked about the need to be fitted. And we, peace is the outcome of the fitting. But how exactly do we fit our feet? Paul says, have your feet fitted. Okay. <laughs> how do I do that? And again, I think the simplest answer is the right answer. And it's amazing to me how many times we keep coming back to this in this series. Um, we're fitted through the Word of God. That's how we've got our feet fitted. We're fitted through God's word. Psalm 37. The mouth of the righteous man utters wisdom, 
and his tongue speaks what is just. The law of his God is in his heart. His feet do not slip. The psalmist says, if our feet are secure, or our feet will be secure when the law of God is in our heart. Then over in the New Testament, Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 1. Now that, you've been, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you may have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And of course, we all are familiar with 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman. He is not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. Our feet are fitted with the truth of God's word. Yes, Jesus is the source of our peace. But it's through the word of God that we learn about Jesus. It's through the word of God that we learn Jesus' will for our lives. It's through the word of God that we're encouraged, that we're corrected, that we're strengthened, that we're instructed on how to run this race and how to fight this enemy. Listen, the Bible is a fascinating book. It is fascinating. It's not just interesting, it's fascinating. And if you read God's word and you don't find it fascinating, you are reading it wrong. Because in the Bible, we learn about Jesus. And in the Bible, we learn how to have a relationship with an awesome God who created us and everything else, how to have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus the Son. It is a fascinating read. The gospel of salvation. The gospel of grace. The gospel of hope. The gospel of peace. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This morning, I hope that you're ready to have your feet fitted with the gospel of peace. As your platoon, if we can help you in any way, something that you need to be uh, letting the family here know about, we pray with you about anything. We're going to have a song of encouragement here in just a minute, and if you can meet us down front, we would be honored to do that. Let's go ahead and be standing uh, while we sing. <laughs>